So tonight we will be talking about heaven after having covered, after covering judgment, hell, purgatory. Now we're going to talk about heaven. And the first thing that I would like to point out as we are going to say our introductory prayer is that God wishes for all of us to desire heaven but he will not give it to us, that desire, unless we ask for it. So unless you are praying regularly and asking God to give you the desire for heaven, you shouldn't expect to get it. So with that in mind, I would like you to stand up, and we're going to start with this prayer. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My God, when shall I behold your infinite beauty? When shall I behold you face to face? In paradise I shall love you, and you will love me for all eternity. My God and my all. My Jesus, when shall I behold you and kiss those wounds which were inflicted on you for my sake? O Mary, when shall I find myself at the feet of the mother who has loved and aided me so tenderly? My sweet protectress, turn to me your eyes of mercy. Take me from this land of exile and show me the blessed fruit of your womb, Jesus. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. The reason why we do not have innately desire to heaven is due to original sin. When Adam and Eve committed original sin, which is something we all inherit, their, our predisposition rebelled against heaven and became very attached to this world. So innately, we are attached to the goods of this world and have a really hard time being attached to the goods of heaven. The second reason why is because we know so very little about heaven. And in tonight's talk, I am going to introduce you to some um, speculative theology. Speculative theology simply means it is a theology where you're thinking about what things might be like and they're not approved officially by the church, but they're not against the teachings of the church either. And that speculative theology is all mine. You will not find it anywhere else for a variety of reasons, which you will see a little later. I hope that it will give you a better sense of what heaven is going to be like than you've had so far. And I hope that it will, you know, put a seed in your heart to start to desire heaven. Uh, One indicator that I can give you about whether you are desiring heaven or not is in relationship to death. If you're afraid of death, you're not desiring heaven. It's that simple. I like to give you black and white indicators to help you find out where you stand and where you need to go. If you're afraid of dying, you're not desiring heaven. Those two things are opposite polars. So you have to pray for God to put in your heart a desire for heaven and your fear of death will go away. All right. Tonight, we're going to cover a number of elements. I have about 40 slides to go through. 
It's the longest talk of all the ones I gave you so far. And then we'll see how much we can cover and how fast we can go. What is heaven? Heaven in scripture, church teachings on heaven, church fathers on heaven. Then we're going to talk about faith. I can most certainly assure you that 95, maybe even higher, 95%, maybe even higher of Christians do not understand what faith is. They have the wrong idea about faith. And as long as you have that wrong idea about faith, faith is not going to grow. That's simple. And so I want to dispel the wrong idea about faith and give you a concrete sense of what faith truly is to help you really work on your faith. And then we'll talk about what heaven will be like. And finally, we'll talk about cultivating the desire for heaven. And then we'll go through Q&A. What is heaven? In scripture, there are several meanings to the word heaven, and it's all contextual. So the firmament or sky is the usual, in the usual sense. Genesis 1.20 speaks of the birds under the firmament of heaven. That means the sky, as we are all familiar with, the blue sky up there. It's called heaven in the scriptures. The night cupola where stars shine is also called heaven. The dwelling of God symbolized by the light and grandeur of starry night. Most of us here, unfortunately, because of the light pollution, have never really seen the Milky Way in all its beauty. Some of you who are my age and who lived in Lebanon, if you remember being up in the mountains, the Milky Way was so clearly seen. You can see it. It was, it was amazing. And when you see the stars, you kind of get a sense why they were also called heaven, because they reflect the grandeur of God. The abode of the angels is also called heaven. And finally, the abode of the souls of the just is also called heaven. And that is the meaning that we're going to pursue tonight. Where the saints go is the heaven we're talking about. So heaven in this context is going to designate both the abode and joy of the just in the next life. What is heaven? Heaven is two things. It's a place and condition of perfect supernatural happiness. The reason why heaven is a place is because after the final judgment, we're going to be risen, body and soul. And since we have a body, that physical body needs a place to be. So by virtue of the fact that we have a physical body, heaven is a place. It's also a condition of perfect supernatural happiness. I'm going to give you an inkling of what that means a little later today. This is in contrast to what we said about so far, as far as we know, to the best of our abilities, the souls of babies who die, who are unbaptized. And we basically subscribe to the position of St. Thomas Aquinas, who says that these children as far as we know, will live in a state of natural happiness, not supernatural happiness. And hopefully when you see what 
I'm going to describe later, you'll start to understand the stark difference between the two. It consists in the immediate vision of God and in the perfect love of God associated with it. The saints in heaven behold God immediately and face to face. God offers himself to them immediately, uncovered, clear, and open. This leads the saints to be truly blessed because they're constantly blessed by God. To have eternal life, it is the life of God, the divine life. To possess eternal happiness, which is the happiness of God, and to enjoy eternal rest. Now, unless you are, you have a very deep and advanced spiritual life, much of what I said to you right now is boring. Doesn't resonate. Because the truth of the matter is for most of us, we love God, we do, otherwise we would not be here tonight, but we love him imperfectly. Meaning we love God as the source of our joy and we don't love him for himself perfectly as we should. There's a big difference between the two things. Loving God for himself, for himself, means that no matter what happens to us, we want to love God. No matter what happens to us. And here's one simple test to help you figure out if you love God for himself. How often are you grumbling about stuff? If you're complaining, if you complain, your love for God is imperfect. It's that simple. Because when you complain, you're telling him your will, I don't want your will to be done. That's what the complaint is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, something happens that has a displeasing taste in our mouth. And we start complaining. But God says, but you just told me my will be done. Make up your mind. That's how we love God imperfectly. All right. What is heaven? Jesus vividly depicts the happiness of heaven as a wedding feast. In Matthew 25, 10, 22 and following, 22, 1 following, Luke 14, 15. All right. And many of us, fortunately, but it's a, it's a disappearing thing, know about wedding feasts. Don't necessarily assume the next generation will. Because marriages on the whole are disappearing. Many of us know what a wedding feast is. And this is the image that Christ uses. At the time of Christ, a wedding, by the way, lasted seven days. So the idea of a wedding feast was even more intense than the one we have. Nevertheless, we understand a wedding feast. The condition for achieving life everlasting, to go to heaven, the condition to go to heaven is the knowledge of God and Christ. To know God and Christ is the condition to go to heaven. Now, this is eternal life. John 17, 3, from the Gospel of St. John. This is eternal life. This is in the, wonder, the beautiful 
uh, Eucharistic prayer of our Lord on Holy Thursday. That they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I want you to key on the word know. Knowledge. To know God is the condition to go to heaven. And you don't get to know God by osmosis. You don't get to know God by sitting down and waiting for a warm, fuzzy feeling. You don't get to know God by sitting down and waiting for something to happen. You get to know God by hitting the books and by practicing charity. Jesus promises the vision of God to the pure of heart. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Charity. The three acts which composes heavenly blessedness are knowledge, love, and joy. Being blessed in heaven means three things. Knowing God, loving God, sharing his joy. And I understand what I just said is very abstract. And it doesn't resonate in most of our hearts. Right? If I've told some of you of the Middle Eastern persuasion, the three acts which composes heavenly blessedness are I would have an instant reaction. Some of you will ask me what the quality of those things are like. But you will, you will immediately connect what I said versus knowledge, love, and joy. A lot harder to connect with. Where is heaven? It's the glorious abode where the saints have their homes when they live. Where they live. Abode and where they live. The surroundings accord with their happy state and the charity that unites them together. At the end of time, the earth and the universe will be gloriously transformed into a section of that dwelling. So this universe is not going to go away. Okay, so don't give too much credit or credence to, the, to Hollywood's apocalyptic despairing view of the world. That's not going to happen. The saints are free to come and go as they please throughout the universe at the speed of thought. You want to go and check what Jupiter looks like? You're there. That is speed of thought. That is angelic speed. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Heaven in the scripture. You can see the list of the scriptural references here. I'm not going to quote them. I'm just going to point out some of the imagery used in scripture to talk about heaven. It's a kingdom. It is life. It is the Father's kingdom. It is the kingdom of Christ. It is the Father's house. It is the city of God. It is the heavenly Jerusalem. It is the holy place. It is paradise. It is life. It is life everlasting. It is the Lord's joy, the crown of life, the crown of justice, the crown of glory. Yes, all the saints in heavens have crowns. It's the incorruptible crown. It is the great reward. It is Christ's inheritance. It is eternal inheritance. All this imagery speaks about the inheritance that Christ has prepared for us, even though we are not deserving of it. Let me make 
let me, let, let's be very clear on this point. With original sin, all of us were like convicts who owed anywhere between two to $500 billion. Billion. Which none of us could hope to repay it in our lifetime. Then Christ came and said, here's what I'm going to do for you. One, I'm going to wipe away your debt. Now, you don't owe anything. Now, that alone would have been amazing. Biblically, that would have meant that Christ would have brought us back to where Adam and Eve were. In a state of perfect, natural happiness. We would not have to die. We would not get sick. And we live on earth. That would have been a pretty mighty, awesome deal. But instead he said, I am going to adopt you into my divine family, make you my brothers and sisters, and give you a share of my divine inheritance. Something none of us could ever have any claim to. That's what he did. And then some of us are quibbling over, but wait a minute, God doesn't love all equally. Dude, you are a slave with no hope, wallowing in the pit of despair, and he is going to give you a crown of divine life, and you're quibbling? This is why we have to love God above all else, not us, God. All right, those are the imagery about heaven. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I do recommend you go through these scriptures to kindle in within your soul the love for heaven. I, I'm, give, I'm going to give you here a list of those. Uh, the texts are right here, all of them. I've basically quoted them for you with the passages themselves highlighted. So like I said, I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go, you know, quote a few of them because they're so beautiful from Hebrews. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. And to the assembly of the firstborn. The assembly of the firstborn. Who is the firstborn? Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn. And his assembly is the church. So all the saints. Who are enrolled in heaven. And to a judge who is God of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect should meditate on these passages from time to time because it will lift your spirit and it will help you deal with anxiety and deal with the concerns that you have in the daily life and put them back in their proper perspective. Everything is passing away, like St. Teresa said, of the prayer we read of her last week. Everything is passing away. But God is forever and so is heaven.
And in Hebrews again, he entered once for all into the holy place, that is heaven, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. That is what are we hoping for. In 2 Corinthians, St. Paul is writing about himself in the third person. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So you can see there are these different heavens of which St. Paul is speaking of. And he's basically saying when he had this ecstatic experience, he wasn't sure if he was there physically, if he was brought up there physically, or it was a vision that he was given. And as to the things that cannot be told, which man may not utter, I'm hoping to give you an inkling as to why this is the case, why it's very difficult to utter those things. Christ reminds us in Matthew, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And what is that gate that we're supposed to find? Anybody scripturally minded can tell me? One of the titles of Christ, I am the gate. So which gate are we supposed to enter through? Christ. Christ. In our Holy Friday celebration, which is in the Maronite church, it's basically a funeral. And at the end of the ceremony, we basically put the body of Christ in a coffin and men carry it in a procession. And then they stand and hold it as we go out and we go under it. We enter through the gate that is Christ. So you need to seek Jesus Christ. And why is it hard to find Jesus Christ? Not because he's making himself hard to be found, just because we tend to seek so many other things instead of him. So again, you have to pray for the desire for heaven so you can seek Jesus Christ. The way that leads to destruction is wide because there are so many ways that we can move away from Christ. And it isn't made this way by God it's not God who decided that that way would be wide and the other way would be narrow. It is us. We made it difficult. And behold, one came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? One there is who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So again, it's not enough for us to have piety. 
meaning go to church, pray the rosary. Those are prayer. This is a prayer life, which is very good. We should have that, but it's simply not enough. This is, this is the fuel. This is the energy to keep the commandments, which is expressed in loving our neighbor, doing the works of God. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. As Saint, Saint Jose Maria Escriva says, at your personal judgment, what you want to hear Christ saying is, these words, well done, good and faithful servant. These are words of canonization. Christ says this to you, you know where you're going. That should be your objective. Write it down on a piece of paper in front of your bed. Think about it every day. You want Christ to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's interesting because a few verses before, Christ said, there is only one who is good. And yet here he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. How could Christ contradict himself? Well, he isn't. Because if he were to tell you good and faithful, it means you have divine life in you. Your life proceeds from the one who is good, which is why you're good. And then St. James, blessed is the man and woman who endures trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. He will receive the crown of life when he has stood the test. So we should be expected to be tested. It's part of the deal. All right. Yeah, that's not going to happen. All right, she's telling me 30 minutes left. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to happen. So just buckle up. All right. Uh, I'm going to skip this. I mean, all of it is beautiful, but I don't have time for it. Uh, the church teaching on heaven, few passages, essential happiness of the saints, the souls of the just, which in the moment of death are free from all guilt of sin and punishment for sin, enter into heaven, and that's a dogma. It's defeated. Additional happiness of the saints in addition to the essential happiness of heaven, which springs from the immediate vision of God, there is also an accidental additional blessedness which proceeds from the natural knowledge and love created things. And like I said, this is so abstract, most of you probably checked out in the middle of me reading this. But that's what I'm going to talk to you about. These, these things contain the community of life of the saints with Christ, with the mother of God and the angels, reunification with family members, loved ones and friends, knowledge of God's work, which means all the things that God has done for us, and then unification of the souls with the body. And I would wager to say for most of us, we resonate more with these things than the idea of loving God. Just that's the stark reality of who we are. Eternity, the happiness of heaven lasts for all eternity. That's a dogma. And inequality, the degree of perfection of the beatific vision granted to the just is proportioned to each one's merit. And that's also a dogma that's defeated. 
not everybody in heaven will be able to have the same view of the beatific vision. Depends on your merits. Additional happiness of the saints, a special radiance, joy, is reserved to virgins for their victory over the flesh. And then that needs to be interpreted. But I'm not going to do this right now. Martyrs for their victory over the world and teachers of the faith for the victory over the devil. And there are some, uh, some um, references here for you, for your uh, attention. So when, when you hear, when you think about what you want to do in your life, you know, being able to becoming a priest or a monk or a nun, you're kind of uh, setting yourself up for that radiance. Something to think about. All right. I have about four pages of quotations of the fathers. And uh, in order to avoid my daughter here killing me, I'm just going to go through a few of them. He who is to come to the abode of Christ, to the glory of the heavenly kingdom, ought not to grieve and mourn, but rather in accordance with faith in the truth to rejoice at this departure and translation. People of the Middle East, most of us have been infected by a non-Christian attitude towards death. When one of our family members die, it's almost equivalent to an atomic bomb being dropped somewhere. We exaggerate our sorrow way beyond what we should do. We're not sober. We're not Christian. Somebody passes. The most important thing is, are they on their way to heaven? You pray for them. Yes, you mourn them. But then you let go. The church recommends mourning should last six months. That's it. So the idea of women dressed in black for the rest of their lives, that is not a Christian thing. I mean, I'm not saying you, I mean, if you choose to dress in black because you like black, well, that's a choice. I'm nothing against it. So our relationship to death is mostly unhealthy because our faith is not where it needs to be. So we have a lot of work to do. Let us lament for our lawlessness so that we will appear, I love St. John Chrysostom for this quote, let us lament for our lawlessness, meaning let us try to be sad for our sins, right? So that we will appear to have offered some small things too. He's basically saying, if you can be a little bit sorry for your sins, that's an offering. That's not a good, it's, it's a good thing. Start right there. Because the things that will be given to us in the future are great and surpass our power. Like do a little bit to get a lot. That's what he's basically saying. All right. Life, St. Augustine, now, St. Augustine is usual genius. Life which is passed in temporal pleasures is not to be considered life, but death in comparison with the eternal life promised to us through Christ 
and in Christ. If you're seeking pleasures in this life, apart from Christ's glory, you're wasting your time. That's basically what he's saying. So, you know, choose wisely. Having confidence in such a great promise, dearly beloved, be citizens of heaven, not only in hope, but also in your daily life. Live as if you are in heaven. Have that attitude every morning. You live in heaven and you will see how your attitude transforms. So many different levels. And I will quote one more. It's really hard to pick, but Saint, I mean, Theodoret of Cyrus, he basically wrote the biography. From him, we know a little bit about St. Marin. You would not be wrong to call the churches on earth the gates of this heavenly city through which it is possible to enter it. In them, we are instructed and trained and learn the way of life in that city. The purpose of the church is to also offer instruction and training for adults so that we can live the way of life in that city. And then St. Jerome, there are two gates, the gate of heaven, of paradise, and the gate of the church. Through the gate of the one, the church, we enter the gate of the other. Right? No church, no heaven. All right. I'm going now to move on to talk about faith. Because I can't tell you how uh, much we've all been infected by a sort of a Protestant view of faith and um, something that actually paralyzes us in our growth of faith. In order to do that, I'm going to start with a very simple thing about heaven. Heaven is forever, all right? It's forever. Now, forever includes one billion years. You're with me? I'm not losing you? So let's do this little thought experiment. Here up top, I have a timeline for you, starting with one million years and going all the way to one billion years. And underneath that, I want to give you a little bit of a perspective on what that means. If your earthly life is 100 years, let's take that as a measure. You're going to live 100 years. And if you've lived a million years in heaven, then that 100 years is basically 0.0001% of that million years. All right? It's a simple division. Well, if it is 0.0001%, what does it really mean? It means it is four days of your 100 years. So why am I telling you this? Basically telling you that even if you suffer for 100 years here, it is equivalent to suffering for four days in order to live 100 years of happiness. If I've told you that, if I stood here and I told you, I promised you, you're going to suffer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and after that you're going to live 100 years happy forever and ever. How many of you would sign up? Who would not sign up? I'm going to have a conversation with you. Okay. 
Now, instead of, 100, instead of 1 million, let's go to 5 million years. Your time of suffering drops to 18 hours. And when we reach 1 billion, 5 minutes. You suffer for 5 minutes, you live 100 years of happiness. Who would not sign up? Father to feet was to say, next Sunday, if you come to church on time, or maybe early, 10 minutes early, so you can sit down and do your prayers, right? I'm going to whip you for five minutes. And after that, you're going to be happy for 100 years. Anybody will not show up? Okay, so now ask yourself this simple question. If that is resonating in your heart, if that thought experiment is talking to you, how come the idea of being happy in heaven forever and ever for a little bit of suffering on this earth is not resonating with us? Why does it not resonate with the same force? The reason is simple. It's our lack of faith. Why is it a lack of faith? Because we don't know what faith is. So let me walk you through what faith truly is. We're going to go through this little detour. So, like I said, here I'm telling you, are you willing to suffer five minutes to win the lotto ten times? You will win it ten times in succession, and you're going to use that money for 100 years to live on this earth. Anybody would object to that? Why is it then that when it comes to heaven, we're not signing up? We don't get excited. Well, one ob objection is that Lodo, five minutes and 100 years, we know what these things are. We can relate to them. But we don't know what heaven is like. Right? So, remedy, ask God to give you the desire to heaven and to increase our faith. We need to go to God so he can tell us about heaven. But then, what is faith? If I'm going to increase faith, what is faith? So let's go through another thought experiment with a bit of math. I'm going to show you faith acting in math. Now, don't worry. The math is pretty basic. There's nothing too complicated here. I'm pretty sure everybody will be able to follow if you don't ask questions, interrupt me. Let's start with this. The set of natural numbers, N, is basically the set of numbers. I call it N. One, two, three, four, five. Anybody has a problem with that? Anybody has any difficulty? I'm calling that the N. N is the set of all these numbers. One, two, three, four, all the way through. Yeah? Not if you understand. Okay. And you all understand this set is infinite, right? There's no end to it. Because no matter what number you give me, I can always add one to it, yeah? So far, so good? Excellent. Now, I'm going to take another set. I'm calling it E. And E contains only even numbers. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. An even number is a number that when you divide by 2, the remainder is 0. Anybody has any difficulty with this? Kids, you're tracking? Yeah? Smart kids. All right. That's it. Now, 
n, the set of all natural numbers, is bigger than e, the set of even numbers. Yes? yes? Because it has odd numbers, which e doesn't have. So far, so good? All right. Now, I'm going to count, I'm going to count even numbers. And the way I'm going to count them is take one natural number and assign it to an even number. So two is beside one, because I'm starting with two. Four is the second number, so I'm going to give it two. Six is the third number, I'm going to give it three. And eight is the fourth number, I'm going to give it four. So in general, if you want to know how you make that assignment, you take an even number, you divide it by two, and you give it that number. So 10 divided by two, you get five. That's the fifth even number. 12 divided by two, you get six. That's the sixth even number. You're with me? Yeah? Okay. Here is where you're going to experience faith right now. So, by one, by what I said earlier, n has twice as many numbers as e, because it has all the odd numbers in it. Yeah? But by two, e is of the same size as n, because there are as many even numbers as there are natural numbers. Can you, can you understand what I just said? Good. You're human. Nobody can. Not Einstein, not the greatest mathematicians. No one can understand what I just told you. We can't understand it the way you understand 2 plus 2 equals 4. But did you agree with me that you followed the logic? My friends, that's what faith is. What do I mean by that? Here, I started with the premise, we had the set of natural numbers, which is infinite, and then I had an argument, which is n contains all the numbers, e contains the even numbers, so it's half the size of n, but because it takes all natural numbers to count all even numbers, they're the same size. You can understand everything I said, except you can't really comprehend how they could be of the same size. Why? Because we can't understand infinity. That's why. But you make a leap in your reasoning and you accept it because of the way I reasoned. Yes? It's the same thing with the faith. The same thing with, with theology. Baby is born in a state of original sin and we can establish that. A priest sprinkles water, immerses the baby and says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Original sin is washed away. I can walk you through the logic. In theology, there's very strict logic to this. You can follow it, but you will not be able to comprehend it, just as you can comprehend this N and E business. So that moment, that short circuit you have, that's what faith is all about. Faith is a supernatural gift that enables your reason to think about the things of God. Faith is all about thinking. It's not about conviction. It's not about saying, I believe. That's an act of the will. It's not about how you feel. 
It's about how you think. And that is not going to come about if you just sit and wait. You have to hit the books. You have to study your faith. In math and theology, you proceed from established facts to derive new facts. In both cases, there are facts which go beyond reason but do not contradict reason. The capacity to give assent to statements that go beyond reason is called faith. Faith is not a purely subjective conviction. It is not an act of the will. It is a preeminent act of reason and the highest form of reasoning man can perform. That's faith. Now you understand why so many of us have weak faith. All right. So now let's talk about what will heaven be like. In heaven, the saints are free from every sin. They can only love God. The saints love God firstly for himself and secondarily as the source of their happiness. All risen bodies, those of the dead and of the blessed, will have these common characteristics. Identity, entirety, and immortality. What that means, when, you're, when your body is risen, you will know it's you. Your sense of who you are doesn't go away. Entirety, your entire body will be risen. Immortality, your body will never be destroyed. This the damned and the blessed share in common. However, the bodies of the saints shall be distinguished by four transcendent endowments, often called qualities. Impassibility, no pain or suffering or death. That's equal among all saints. By contrast, the damned will, will suffer, will know suffering and will know pain. Brightness or radiance, the bodies of the saints shall shine like the sun. And there are different levels of glory. Agility, moving at the speed of thought. And subtlety, moving through material objects. So you can go anywhere in this universe. You want to go see what a black hole is? You can go to the center of the black hole. You want to see what the sun is inside the sun? You can go there. Basically, this makes Superman look like a wimp. There is nothing in this universe that could affect you. You are a master of the material world. However, this doesn't still kind of, you know, eh, okay, but, so let's keep going. Now, to help you appreciate what heaven is, I will focus now on a second reason why we should love heaven, the joy we derive from being in heaven. Not so much on loving God, but all the things we get from him. So, but in order to be able to really appreciate the idea we're going to see God face to face. It requires a serious commitment to our faith, study, a prayer, a Trinitarian theology which is beyond our grasp. None of us possess these things, which is why I will focus on more accessible arguments to stir up the love of heaven. What will heaven be like? I'm going to start with this. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. Many, many of us have heard the, the scripture before, but we kind of take it in a poetic side. We think, oh, it's cute, it's beautiful. There's maybe it's kind of a little bit romantic. Why? Because we see in a mirror dimly. We think that means, you know, that because the mirror is dim, we can't see clearly. 
So there's nothing for us to do. It's the mirror which is the problem. Now, in St. Paul's time, mirrors were made out of bronze, other metal, so they were very dim. They weren't like the ones we have today, which is why he uses this image. But key off on the words he uses, now I know. I know in part. So dimly means I know in part. Then I shall understand fully. Faith will be no more needed because I can see face to face what I believe now through my knowledge I'd be able to see face to face. That's the understanding part. Even as I have been fully understood. So to see God face to face is to understand God. We're not going to be able to see the Trinity with our eyes. It is an internal vision through our intellect. To make you appreciate that a little bit more of this difference between what we do now and what we're going to see later, and to make you get a sense that, yeah, this bit of dimly, well, it really depends on a lot of people. It depends on how much effort you're putting into it. It's not a static thing. It's not like all of us are going to see dimly at the same level. It depends how much effort we're putting into it. So, what you have in the middle here is a piece of code. This is a piece of code that I wrote. And this is not a piece of nonsense that Hollywood puts in when they go, I'm in. Okay, don't get me going on this. It's, anyway, that's a different story. This is a piece of real code. Now, here's the dimly part. If you can't read English, then this is indeed very dim. You can't even read it. You're with me? But if you can read English, you can at least see, oh, that's a function. You might have a sense what a function is. So your understanding of what this bit is is dim, but less dim than someone who can't read. Yes? Okay. If you can code, then your vision is a little bit more crisp because you can code. So you can start to make out some pieces in this thing. You can understand a for, do, begin. You can understand if, then, which are coding constructs. So your, 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 your understanding is less dim. If you can code an object Pascal, which is what this is written in, then again, it becomes crisper because you can read the whole code. If you know about recursion, your understanding of this is even crisper. And finally, if you know about complex numbers, which is what this Mandelbrot set is all about, you pretty much understand quite a bit about this. All right. The reason why I'm using code and not a book is because, well, you'll see that in a minute. Now, this is what it is like here on Earth, understanding dimly. That's what you're looking at. You, most of you here don't have any idea what this thing is. Agreed? All right. Now I'm going to show you what this thing is. What this does. It does this. This drawing that you see is a visual representation of that code. There is no difference between them.
This seeing clearly, yeah? That's the difference between now and then. But there are differences. Now let me show you a little bit more what I mean by clearly. Could you play this, Hanan, please? If you're running PowerPoint. Yeah. Watch this. This is a rendition of the same thing, but in 3D. That's what this function that I wrote does. Does this. This is seeing clearly. Now, the purpose of this is to show you, I mean, if you understand the math, there is no difference between what you're looking here at that function I wrote. You see the beauty of this? That's what you would see in heaven. Here, you're dealing with the code. Make sense? Okay, you can stop it, please. But the point I want to enforce here is that when St. Paul said these words, this was no excuse for us to just sit down and say, "Whoa, well, well, we just see dimly. There is nothing we can do. We just have to wait to get to heaven. Okay, we all have work to do. All right. Now, what will heaven be like? A little bit more math. All right, not very difficult math, not very difficult, but hopefully it will give you an idea, a sense of what it is like. All right, a set, a set is basically a bag with stuff in it, right? So if a bag has oranges in it, it's a set of oranges. If it has apples, it's a set of apples, all right? So set is a mathematical way of saying a bag, all right? A set is countable if I can enumerate all of its elements. So a bag of oranges is countable because I can count how many oranges there is in the bag. You with me? Days of the week is a countable set. Monday, I mean Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I can count them. Month of the year is a countable set. I can count them. So far so good? The natural numbers that we saw earlier is a countable set. I can count them. One, two, three. I will never finish counting them, but I can count them. All right. Now this universe we live in has three dimensions three geometric dimensions, width, depth, and height. Yeah, width, left and right, forward and backward for depth, and height up and down. Everybody's familiar with those dimensions, yeah? So this universe has a finite, countable number of dimensions. It has three dimensions, and I can count them. Everybody's good with this? Now, real numbers are not countable. And the proof is right there. I'm going to start counting real numbers. So I go zero. I'm good with that. Now the next number, zero dot. Zero, 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 zero. I'll never get out. You see that? I can't get out of that to go to the second one. Yeah? That makes it uncountable. I cannot count real numbers. All right? Okay. Now, why, why I'm bringing all this? I'm going to tell you why I'm bringing all this. Okay. So if I take a cube, you know what a cube is, right? 
Okay, and I put a light on top and I project down, I'm gonna get a square. The shadow of that cube is a square, yeah? Okay. However, if I take this cube and I flip it, so you're seeing only an edge like this, and I put it right where the light is, then the shadow is gonna be a line. So now, the same object, a cube, when I project down, can give me a square or a line. Yeah? We're almost there. You're wondering where I'm going with this. We're almost there. Now imagine, try to imagine, an object which I call B with infinite, uncountable dimensions. Infinite, uncountable dimensions. In other words, B has as many dimensions as there are real numbers. It is something we cannot conceive. No matter how hard you try, you will never be able to have a conception of what that B is. Ever. It's beyond our reason. Now, think about the number of ways in which B can create a projection on that plane. That number of projection is also uncountable. In other words, now we're starting to inch closer to what heaven is like. The number of projections this object can create on the plane exceeds, by far, the number of projections all the angels and all the saints could see in eternity. There are more projections that this thing can create than the angels and the saints could see in eternity. In fact, it's worse. An infinity of eternities would not be enough for the saints and angels to see all the projections of the subject. We can never exhaust it. All right? Okay. Now, suppose that in heaven, the projection that this object creates is not a shadow. It's actually a dish. It's something you can eat. A dish that tastes absolutely amazing and that makes you feel amazing after you're done eating it. Right? Suppose further that because of agility, remember moving at the speed of thought, you could pick three dimensions, project them on the plane, and eat the created dish in a second. You have three dimensions you pick, you get a new dish, you can eat it in a second. That means you could be eating 60 amazing dishes per minute or 86,400 dishes in 24-hour period. You don't need to sleep. And you will never eat the same dish twice. For eternity. It's always new. It's always different. It's always amazing. Now compare what I just described to you with going to a restaurant. Here, on earth. You go to the restaurant, you have to travel there, you have to sit, somebody has to come, get your order, hopefully they get it right, and they won't be cranky. They have to serve it to you, then you eat it, and you go home. It takes you six hours for one dish. 86,400 in 24-hour period. Forever. 
So heaven is far more dynamic than this life is. Heaven will fulfill every single wish you ever had. And then some. Now let's take that a step further. By now, you've guessed it, this mysterious object is a pale, a very pale representation of the majesty of God. And each dish in, is some way that the beatific vision is made accessible to the human mind. You understand? Each of those dishes talking to you about is one glimpse of what the beauty and majesty of the beatific vision is. But instead of a dish that satisfies your palate, imagine a dish that satisfies all of your senses beyond your imagination and all at once. So not only what you eat, but what you, what you taste, but what you smell, which is this amazing thing, what you see, which be an amazing vision, what you hear, an incredible symphony, and what you touch. All at the same time, perfectly in balance, in perfect harmony. Let's take that a still further. Not only does this dish satisfy all your five senses at once, it fills you with a sense of love, beauty, peace, and makes you truly shine like the sun. Not only are you physically satisfied, completely physically satisfied, in every sense of the world, word, sorry, and I leave that to your imagination, I'm, expect, I'm accepting nothing of your physical experience. Every sense is completely satisfied, as much as it could possibly be. But inside of you, the sense of love, intimacy, joy, peace, fulfillment, happiness, rejoicing, is as complete as it can possibly be. This, my friends, is as good of an approximation as at the ecstasy of the saints as we can be. So heaven is this ongoing, continuous movement from one ecstasy to the other. 86,400 every 24 hours, forever and ever and ever. At a speed that we can't even begin to understand. And you could never exhaust it. You could never get to a point of repeating this twice. You could never get to a point where you can get bored. You could never get to a point where what you're experiencing is less than what you experienced before. Ever. That's heaven. And everything I just described is just the appetizer. The main dish is God himself. All right. I'm going to close with these words from Mother Angelica. God rest her soul. In the words of Mother Angelica, in heaven we will learn why God permitted the trials and illnesses and heartaches of this life. 
see the justice and mercy of God and the disadvantages of this life are rewarded by high stations in heaven. See all our faults and weaknesses fall away from our souls like scales from a fish. Understand the mysteries of nature and the universe. Comprehend truth with ease. Nothing will be difficult. See the mysteries of God as they continue to unfold. Love and be loved by everyone and never have any aversion and antipathy towards anyone. Always have something new to do and learn in heaven something different to be joyful about. Never feel worthless, lonely, slighted, discouraged, depressed, or stupid. Never feel anger, resentment, hatred, jealousy, or ambition. Never experience hunger, thirst, or poverty. Never again be afraid. So, I would encourage you to really truly cultivate the desire for heaven. Go to Mass and confession regularly. Develop a steady life of prayer. Deepen your faith by deepening your understanding of God, Scripture, and the Church. Deepen your love by serving others unconditionally. Deepen your hope by bearing silently the trials of this world. Ask God for the grace to love Him above all else. Ask Him to stop fearing death and ardently desire to go to heaven. Pray the Rosary, which is a mystical school of theology at the hands of Our Lady. At the beginning of this talk, um, my daughter alluded to the fact that I have this library called the Catholic Foundation Library. It's on Spotify. It's on the website. If you were to go through it and sit down and study what is in this library, you will know more than about 95% of Catholics in this world. It's already pre-cooked for you. It's there and it's free. If you don't want to choose this, choose something else. There are so many good material out there for you to pick from, but make it a habit of studying your faith and growing in faith. Take it seriously so you can tell God, I love you. Finally, Philippians 3, 8, 14. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm hoping by now, when you hear these words in Scripture, in the church, you start to key off knowing you study, you know. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and, he, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, knowing faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Those words are all connected. They're not separate and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, because like him in his death, that if becoming like him in his death, that's the charity bit, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If possible, he's not certain. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Don't worry about what happened before. Focus on what is ahead of you, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pray and ask the Lord to give you the same ardent desire that St. Paul had for heaven. And hopefully one day, we'll all meet up there. God bless you.
Oh, why, thank you, sweetie. Yeah, I'm just noticing now. Wow. Look at that. We are going to uh, we'll close officially with the word of prayer so that those of you who need to get on with their evenings are free to go. Uh, we can take questions after for about 20 minutes or so. And yeah, in the back, there are some pamphlets, it looks like, and like little booklets. Um, so I think those are free for us to take home with us so we can study our scripture on the people back here. Uh, could like. you t- this is whom he brought them. Just give him a round of applause. He brought them. Oh, wait. Yeah, get yes, up. Our gentleman over there. <laughs> he brought them for us. Yeah, come on. Thank him. He is the one who brought all that material. So I really want you to thank him. And then, yeah, do uh, avail yourselves of this stuff. There is an examination of conscience for those who don't have it. Pick it up. There's a really great material in the back. Pick up some as you go out. Thank you. And if you, like I said, want the talks to these, uh, the slides to these talks, uh, it's on Spotify in that cute little PowerPoint video yep. that my dad made. Uh, and also if you're on Apple, Amazon, Google, all of these uh, uh, outlets for podcasts, you will find the same talks over there. So they're hitting all the channels. Uh, that being said, this was our final talk for this series. If you have additional topics or ideas or things that are really weighing on your heart and you would like to bring Dad back out, let me know. I can coordinate with uh, some good dinners. Uh, and yeah, we're going we're to go ahead and close. Uh, next week we enter into Passion Week, so uh, the MYA will be meeting here. We have the service in the church, and then we'll conclude after that. So. You'll get an email from me. Um, Dad, Ask Father, 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 Father. Oh. Ask Father. Abuna, would you like to close us in prayer? Uh, sure. Thank you, Abuna. Yeah. Well, so this uh, thought, get yeah, the man and say, one day I'll be the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for the kingdom the power and the glory are yours now and forever amen for Lord is with thee Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. As it was in the beginning, is now, never shall be, world without end. Amen. Thank you, Father. All right.
just gonna see. I'm, I'm happy if there aren't any. All right. Any questions? Yes. Just a second. Let's start with the questions. What is it going to be the same thing? I'm sorry. Okay, Could you repeat so, that last? Okay. When you're in heaven, like if you die now, you're going to be in heaven, and like it's going to be only your soul. But like later, you're going to have your body back. So my question is: Is it going to give you like more happiness when you have your body? If you're dead, it's going to be like more suffering. So yeah. Great question. Yes. When you so the question is: When you when you die, it's going to be heaven, hell, or purgatory. And if you're heaven, you're obviously in a state of joy. But when at the end final judgment when all the bodies are risen you can get your body back will your joy or, or or happiness increase the answer is yes definitely because we are made as body and soul and we're not complete until we have our body and soul back which is why even in heaven our lady is called the hope of the just because when they look at her for she is body and soul in heaven they can see what is awaiting them. So absolutely, yeah. Your, your joy in heaven will increase, and then your pain in hell will increase because of the fact that the body you're going to get is susceptible to pain and suffering and is going to be disfigured. Not going to be particularly pretty to look at. Yeah, definitely. So there is hope in heaven, like you're still hoping for... Yes, there is hope in heaven until the day of judgment where finally... You, are, you have to understand, having a soul without a body is unnatural. And God supplies what is lacking, but you still are not who you're supposed to be. And that happens when, you're, when you're, you have your body back. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, I want to go back to that point of faith. Yes. So you said faith is an act of knowing. Yes. Uh, not an act of Correct. That's it. So faith is an act of the intellect, not of the will. Luther was the one who switched it from the intellect to the will. And that has seeped into the Catholic Church. In fact, if you ask most Catholics, what is stronger? God exists or 2 plus 2 equal 4? Most of them will tell you 2 plus 2 equal 4. Because they're of the, of the understanding that saying that God exists is an act of the will. It is a subjective thing that you are convinced of. But it's not an objective truth. As 2 plus 2 equals 4. You understand? And that's a deformation of the truth. 
Faith is a faculty of the intellect that allows you to understand things beyond the natural order. You understand, and by understanding, you um, are convicted through your reason, and then your will then subscribe to this and acts accordingly. The object of the will is charity. Right? The object of the reason is knowledge and truth. They work hand in hand. But you have to know to act. And the more you act, the more your knowledge is illuminated by what you're doing. And most people are just neglecting faith. Because they think it's an act of the will. Which is why they don't grow in their faith. Make sense? Right. Good point. It's not the word I believe. The Apostles' Creed start with I believe. Why do we say I believe? What's the purpose of I believe? It's to act. The way we say it is so that we can do something about it. You believe it, then do something about it. You understand? Yeah. So you understand. That causes you to say I believe. This is the truth. I am assenting to it, so I'm going to direct my actions to be aligned with the truth. Yeah? Yeah. It's an act of, this is why when we say it's the profession of faith, what we mean by that is that we are going to profess. What is to profess your faith? It's to witness to the truth. You're taking action. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I can't stress this point enough. I cannot stress this point enough. Yeah. Yes. Why do you think, in your opinion, God doesn't reveal himself or heaven and hell to non-believers in the form of maybe a dream or visions? I mean, it seemed to be something that he used to do before, but now it's not so commonplace, yet sin is at its apex in the world, but God doesn't seem to be found, especially to non-believers, I think. Yes, great question. Why does God not reveal himself to non-believers in forms of dreams or visions? And you, I think the answer is uh, in the scriptures with the story of Lazarus. Right? Lazarus goes to um, and sits in the bosom of Abraham. He's basically sitting in the limbo of the fathers, whereas the rich man is in hell. And the rich man tells La uh, um, Abraham... No, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, because if they see a man risen from the dead, they believe. And Abraham, quite rightfully, says, no. Even if they see a man risen from the dead, they will not believe. They have Moses and the law, meaning they have the scriptures. Let them, back to the point I was making earlier, you have to be convicted by your reason. Visions and dreams will not convict you. You have to sit down and reason through, and God then sends his illumination for you to help think through. But if you're not baptized, you will not get the supernatural gift of faith. You're not going to get it. You understand? That's why. In fact, what's really interesting is that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. What did he choose to do? Okay, so now not only do we have to kill him, but we also have to kill Lazarus. 
right? I can't tell you the number of times where we point out to family or friend members or atheists, we show them pictures of saints who are incorrupt, and the answer is, oh, that's something the church is doing, right? And that, that's all they can see. That, that's why. You have to, the, the, the conversations we have, like I cannot, I'm not going to, I cannot convert you, right? I cannot do that. You cannot do that. All I can do is remove obstacles for reason to understand so that faith could grow. That's all I can do. But it's something on each one of us to be then convicted by this and then commit to it. That's how it works. Yeah. No. Well, what's behind that question? Well, the question is, is there any way for someone to enter heaven without the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is clearly no, right? Every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth shall bend at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, St. Paul. So no, you must, you cannot enter heaven without our Lord. But what's behind that question? Well, no, if, you're, if you are a baby, right, baby, because we, we, innocence here matters. Lack of personal sin matters. If you're unbaptized and you're dying in mortal sin, you're going to hell. All right? So it's only reserved to those who are innocent. This is why we only focus on babies. Not to say that you may not have a person, you know, who is older and innocent, that can happen, but fundamentally, the question has always been about unbaptized babies because they are innocent. They are under the age of reason. They cannot, therefore, be liable of mortal sin. And in their case, we're basically stating, as far as we know, this is not dogma, they will live in a state of perfect natural happiness. Okay? Okay, so uh, that's a great question. So people who are unbaptized, uncatechized, but seek out to do good according to their conscience. So um, there are people who can, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, live a life that is conformed to the faith. They are fundamentally Catholics, even though they are not uh, formally so. And those people can attain to eternal salvation. Absolutely. But I don't want you to go running thinking, oh, well, then there are millions of them out there. But still through, still through Jesus Christ, even though they don't know him as such. Absolutely. It is always through our Lord. Everything happens through the Lord and the agency of the Catholic Church. All the graces that anybody receives in the world comes through the Catholic Church. There is no escaping that. That's what it means when we say there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. Right? It means that all the graces that God wishes to give to anyone comes through the Catholic Church. Right? But there are people who are not formally members of the church who are actually Catholic. They don't know it. And they, these two will essentially be saved. Uh, but, I mean, in the scriptures, Job, for instance, was not a Jew. In principle, Job was a pagan. Right? And yet, he's con counted as just. 
So here's an example, right? But don't think that you have like millions of them out there. Because we need all the help of the sacraments and baptism for us to kind of live an upright life. Imagine if you don't have that. Your chances are pretty low. Which is why it's so important for all of us to evangelize. It's so important. Yes? So, um, the answer the gentleman different fathers from the Middle East and this and that. So there's all these stories of all these actually Muslim people that are converting into Christianity because Jesus Christ is appearing in their dreams and he's literally telling them, do this, go here, go there. He's saving them and telling them how to get out of there and go to Europe. And this is happening nowadays. Yeah, so the point that you're making is that there are Muslims who are claiming that our Lord is appearing to them in their dreams. I mean, they're becoming Christian. I understand. I understand. However, that's why we need to exercise prudential judgment, and the church is very careful. And I know, I know, and this is something about the Middle East. Our Lord and Our Lady are so busy appearing in everybody's dream, they have no time to do anything else. I can't tell you how many people come and tell me, oh, Our Lady appeared in my dream. Okay. If ever you have an experience like this happening to you, here's what you should do. Don't tell anyone. Do not tell anyone. Go tell a priest and listen to what the priest tells you. Right? I mean, these people are, are like literally citing verses from Bibles. I mean, that's their. I understand. I mean, that I I'm sorry. I understand what you're saying. We cannot canonize these people. We have to be careful. In the 19th century, there were cases where people will do amazing things. And the end result was not as good as we thought it would be. We just have to be careful and wait. Prudence suggests, let's wait and see what the true fruits of these things are. I am not boxing our Lord. I'm not telling you what our Lord can or cannot do. He is free to do what he wants to do. However, prudential justice says, be careful and prudent and do not give immediate assent to what you hear until you see the fruits. By their fruits, you shall know them. So wait a few years. No, 100%. That, that's all. Absolutely. Always help them. I'm not, not debating that. Just be careful with the dream bit. That's what I'm trying to tell you. No, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it could not all be dreams, but uh, you know what I mean? I, I do. Yes, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not necessarily going there. All I was saying, just be careful with the dream bit. That's all. Yes? Um, so you said after Judgment Day, um, we'll know our identity. Will we know like, the identity of others? Of course. After Judgment Day, you will know who people are. Absolutely. So will we know that like, if like, a family member wasn't there? Correct. You will know if a family member is in hell or in heaven or in purgatory. You will know that. And so here's one question. If, let's say, your husband or your son or your daughter is in hell, how could you be happy in heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Right? See, this is where, again, faith is about reason. How would you ever 
feel comfortable with what I just said without reason. An emotion is not going to cut it. A belief is not going to do anything for you. How could you be happy in heaven knowing that your son or your daughter or your husband or all of them are in hell? So you love God and they don't and you know they chose willingly. Okay, fair. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The more the answer is concrete, the more you know your faith. Justice. See, this is justice, yes, but does it really resonate when we say justice? justice is, is it resonating with you, Any, everything you said so far? Is it, are you comforted? Are you comfortable with what you're hearing? You'll be sad, right? How could you be sad? You're in heaven, right? So guess what we're doing right now? We are engaging in our faith. You see that? That's what we're supposed to do. When we ask these questions, we have to roll up our sleeves and start to study. What did the church fathers say? What did the saints say? What is the teaching? Let me learn about it so I understand it. So then my faith is comforted and I grow in my love of God. All right? Everything you've heard so far is true. Right? But the way to think about it is actually complex. And it goes like this. The premise of our sadness, the idea of what we're going to be sad, is that fundamentally God did not do enough for them. God should have done more in order for them to be with me in heaven. You see that? But what you're going to discover in heaven is that no, what, what you think God should have done, God done ten times more. He's done so much that in the end, his justice prevails. And therefore, what will make us happy in heaven is not his mercy. It's his justice. Let me give you a common example. To grow in your faith, you need to bring stuff back up to things you can relate to. Suppose you have a brother living with you and your parents, and he gets into drugs. And then his behavior starts to affect your younger siblings. And he is unwilling to go to therapy. Would you keep him in the house? You need to think about it. But most parents who are loving parents would tell you no. Because his behavior is toxic. He's going to affect the little ones. So you have to get him out. You understand? Here's an example where you're applying justice to a situation and eventually you'll be at peace with it because this was the right thing to do. Well, that's a very small example of what's going to happen in heaven. Except that in heaven, God's justice is perfect. And that perfection is what's going to be the basis for your happiness. Even though you're going to see them in hell. That takes some thinking, you see. This is why we have to grow our faith. By reasoning over it. Make sense? Good. Other questions? Yes. Going back to um, heaven and hell and baptism. And baptism being the essential 
Yes. 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 So the question is, um, number one, should Catholic parents baptize their children? Um, and is that, would they be judged harshly if they don't? If you do not baptize your child, I would say within the first four to six weeks, barring extraordinary circumstance, if you do not baptize your child in the first four to six weeks, you committed a mortal sin. It's not about being judged harshly. You're going to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is how serious it is. Now, the argument is, okay, is it a mortal sin? I don't know. I'm an ignorant, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, maybe, but guess what? You're supposed to know the commandments of the church. So if it's not this, it's that. So yeah, they will be judged very severely. Okay, that's one. Two. The way to answer your question about, okay, here's a child, he should have been baptized, he wasn't baptized, he grew up non-baptized. Okay. God wills for all to go to heaven. That is his general predestination. He wants everyone to go to heaven. As a result of what I just said, logically, it follows that God will give everyone, everywhere, enough graces to seek, find the church, become Catholic, and then go to heaven. That is God's justice. And that's what we're going to discover in heaven. No one is beyond God's justice. No one is outside of Christ's mercy. But there are degrees. There are more suffering in purgatory. There are things we can do to help. Right? Are we doing it? That's the question. Have I answered your question? Okay. Ramsey? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, bear with me. Let me just take Ramsey's first. Yes. So if somebody's born mentally challenged, heavily mentally challenged, and they're baptized, what, what's that person's position? I mean, are they like living saints? The question is, Someone is born heavily mentally challenged, which means they are unable to use reason, which means they are unable to commit a sin. They're baptized. What are they? Are they living saints? In one sense, yes, they are living saints with a small s. Right? They're not like St. Charbel or St. Therese of Lisieux. Why? Because they don't have merits. So this is the difference between, say, most of us, maybe all of us here, who will be saints in heaven, but we don't have 
the merits of the saints, which means we don't have power of intercession. There's a difference between being able to pray for someone and intercede for someone. Saints, with a capital S, have powers of intercession. They have dominion. And they can intercede on behalf of others. Most of us can pray to others, which is great. In their case, they're a living, small capital saint. Yes. Absolutely. Have I answered your question? Yeah. I had a follow-up. Sure. So, our ancestors, right? I mean, when I think of my ancestors in Lebanon, they didn't have books, they didn't have, you know, a means to really uh, dig deep into who is God, what is God. But they, I mean, I feel they had more faith than we do. I mean, like... When I was growing up, my aunt would always say things like, Yes. Any time they associated everything with, with God. Perfect. They didn't read it in books. Yeah, so you're asking a really good question, which is, is hitting the books the only way in which you can increase your faith? And the answer is no. Isn't. There are two other ways. Yes. Is, is, is hitting the books... And studying theology, the only way in which you can increase your faith? The answer is no. Is it the best way? The answer is yes. But there are two other ways in which you can do, you can increase your faith. One is when you are working with nature. You learn a lot about God from dealing with nature. This is why God loved shepherds. Okay? Or gardeners, people who work with nature. that You learn a lot about God. You have to depend so much. So much is outside your control. You learn a lot about that. Most of us are remote from it, but they weren't. They, their livelihood depended on rain and on the weather and then so much that they were constantly seeking God. And they understood his mercy and his graces because of that life. Second, their life was less threatened than ours. They were not dealing with as many heresies as we are. So they didn't need to go to the depth of studying that we have to do today. The other way in which you can actually gain knowledge is through the rosary. St. Louis de Montfort says that Our Lady in the rosary communicates a mystical theology about the knowledge of God. Why? Because at the end of the day, faith is about what? Knowing Jesus Christ. But Our Lady knew him as her child. And the closer you get to her, the closer she can communicate that knowledge over to you. So those are other ways in which you can increase your faith. They're not as good as straight out studying. Because that immediately goes to your reason. So that's why. But thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, the question is, huh, that's a very good question. Is the happiness in heaven not complete without hell? The answer is no. Because it was never part of God's plan to have hell in the first place. It was always in his plan to have heaven, not hell. Right? Therefore, no, we don't necessarily need, I mean, theoretically, in principle, we don't need hell for our happiness in heaven. Having said that, given that we live in a broken world and all of us suffer injustices, 
part of our happiness in heaven is see how those injustices have been met. Not to say that we're happy for anybody being in hell, but we're happy by God's justice. Again. We, I don't need to see anybody in hell, in, in hell to be happy. Right? But who is in hell matches God's justice, and it's his justice that is part of my happiness. Yes? Okay. One more question, and then we're going to have to close so I can put the hall back in order. Anthony? I want to jump off the conversation of faith as a faculty of reason, because we see oftentimes people that are very well educated. I mean, Lucifer would have been a prime example of knowing God. He probably have been almost the natural order, the one that knew God the most. So, but he had a lack of faith. So, clearly, there's another component to it. Okay. Great question. The question is, is knowledge enough sufficient for the faculty of faith? Here's, the answer is actually yes. Lucifer had no lack of faith. What he's lacking was charity. And oftentimes we, we collapse the two. We think of faith as charity because oftentimes we think of it as an act of the will. But it's not. Faith is knowledge, supernatural knowledge of God. But if that is not leading me to charity, I'm going to go to hell with it. Absolutely. So then why, does, why do we say that we attain heaven through faith? We, we say that we attain heaven through faith. Correct. Because I need to know God so I can love God. I can't love that which I don't know. So that's why faith is the first of the three theological virtues as the foundation. It is not the last, because in heaven, as you know, charity will remain. Hope and faith will go away. There's no hope in heaven, because you see face to face, once the bodies are resurrected, right? And there is no faith, because you understand immediately. Those two virtues are for here, but charity, love of God, is forever. And so, yes, with that, so it's, a, it's all three. You need the three of them. I am just focusing on faith, because charity and hope, there's not a lot of confusion around that. The confusion is around faith. We have a crisis of reason today, and that's what we're dealing with. This is where we need to work on it. Make sense? Okay. Table back to center uh, and chairs around 10 chairs per table, and we're going to carry those tables, not drag. Whose phone is this? Uh, Ashley's. Ashley's, your phone? Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm just going to say bye. Thank you. This was amazing. Today. Was it? Was it good? Today. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Good oh, to good. see you. Likewise. Thank you. I have a bowl for you. I'm sorry? I have fruit, a bowl of fruit for you and some chips. Oh, perfect. Okay, hold on. Thank you. My brother wants to know about um, whether the saints become, uh, become enlightened. They have full knowledge of the universe. And, uh, yeah, just a second. I'm sorry. Uh, could you get me about my Anthony? Yeah. Just a second, John. John, I'm sorry. 
Could you take a look and see if it recorded and stuff? We'll find out. Okay. It didn't, huh? Maybe it did. One hour and 48 minutes. Yeah, perfect.